Good morning, everybody. I told the first service of King James Version was good enough for Jesus. It's good enough for me. Well, it's so good to see you here today on this. This is a good place to hang out, huh? It's cooler in here than it is outside. Who'd want to be anywhere else but here right now? Wow, this is, feels good in here. So it's so good to see all of you. I trust that you've had a, had a good, beneficial, and blessed week, and that you've enjoyed your walk with the Lord, and you feel closer to Him today, perhaps, than you did last week. We have a big subject today, pleasing God, and I cannot begin to do anything but scratch the surface of this, um, this large, large subject, pleasing God. I um, want to make a clarification that I certainly do not stand as one that would be a, perhaps a prime example of having always done that. I have fallen short many times as all of us have. The Bible tells us that all have sinned and we've come short of his glory. But I do stand before you today as one who has a strong desire in the depths of my heart to be pleasing to the Lord and to hear him say someday, well done, thou good and faithful servant. You know, it's the devil who's a liar. The Lord is always true. And I'm pretty persuaded that if we don't do well, he's not going to tell us that we've done well when we stand before him. We are going to be judged according to the deeds in this body. We will give an account to him for every word that we speak. So it's not just a very light thing to take up our cross and follow him. There are some things that are involved in doing that. When I was a boy, there were times that um, I had one brother that my dad may be working on some type of something or other, and he would need an extra tool or he would need something to help him complete the project. And sometimes he would say, as he was trying to get whatever it was fixed, he would say, the boy that loves daddy will go and get him whatever. Well, you know what my brother and I did? We made a race to see who could go get whatever it was that daddy wanted because we wanted to please him. And the way he said it, the boy loves daddy. Well, apparently if we didn't do it, we didn't love him. So we didn't want him to think we didn't love him. So we went and, and got whatever it was that, that he needed. Now that wasn't, um, he, he was kind of pulling our chain a little bit, you understand. He was kind of playing with us, and we really knew that. But still, uh, I thought of that this week as I was thinking about pleasing God. My goal in this message today is hopefully to influence us to really fall in love with Jesus and to live our lives in a manner that is pleasing to him. Actually, there is nothing else in the world that will cause us to please him if we don't first of all fall in love with him. You see, I can't, I can't cajole you into doing it. I can't pressure you. 
I can't preach a scary message about hell and get, it might last for a little bit, but it's not going to last long term. Growing up, I heard a lot of scary sermons, scary sermons, you know, that tell stories that somebody who was in a convicting service that hardened their heart and did not give their life to the Lord, and they went out, had an automobile accident, hit a train, or something bad happened to them. And back in those days, there, were, there was a lot of preaching along that line, a lot of judgment preaching, a lot of, a lot of hellfire and brimstone preaching. And uh, to a certain extent, it worked. But for it to really work to get into our hearts and into our lives, people get over the fear factor pretty easily and pretty quickly. There's only one thing that is going to cause us to really serve him and be pleasing to him, and that is if we have a heart of love, we have fallen in love with Jesus Christ, and we want to please him. I would like for us to take a moment and just kind of reflect back over our lives this past week. Have we been pleasing to the Lord? Have there been things that we have done, things that we have said that perhaps were not pleasing to him? Have we brought honor unto him? What would God's attitude be toward our behavior this past week? Could he say well done to just a, a week in time? Or have we done anything that may cause someone to kind of step back and say, I thought he was a Christian. I thought she was a churchgoer. And sometimes that happens. That has happened to me recently. I have run into people that I just kind of startled because I know them to be people that claim to love the Lord, that claim to walk with Him. But yet, by their actions and by their words, it caused me to do a double take and say, Really? That just doesn't, in my own, I didn't say it to them. I thought, that just doesn't seem to be quite right for a Christian. Have we helped anyone? Have we encouraged anyone? Have we been a blessing or a burden? Have we been a blessing to our church, to our pastor? Or have we been a burden? Have we been faithful or unfaithful? Have we been thankful or have we've been complaining. There's an old song that says, it pays to serve Jesus. It pays every day, and it really does. 1 John 3.22 declares it to be so. And whatsoever we ask, we receive of him because we keep his commandments and do things that are pleasing in his sight. That is pretty clear-cut, folks. Whatsoever we ask, we receive. Why do we receive? The Bible is very clear. Because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing unto him. We may not realize the blessing that the Lord has for us if we will just be faithful to him. Just walk with him. Be faithful to the Lord. I know of a businessman who hired a young lady who turned out to be a very, very good employee. 
And the businessman wanted to do something a little extra for her because of her work ethic and because of all that she had done and her faithfulness. And so he sent her on a vacation. He found out that she liked to go to the ocean, specifically Ocean City, Maryland. The business owner belonged to a travel club and had access to a number of condominiums for vacations in Ocean City, Maryland. So to be nice, he said to himself, I'm going to send her and her husband for a week to Ocean City, Maryland for a vacation. And he did it. And she was thrilled. She was so happy and so delighted. Little did she know, but her boss had in his mind to do that for her every year as an added bonus and benefit. But the more she got entrenched into the company, the more that she was a part of everything and, and this and that, she, she started taking on a different attitude. She started being a little mouthy. She started throwing her weight around a little bit. And so the boss to himself said, don't believe I'll do that anymore. She lost a blessing that she didn't even know was hers or was coming simply because of her behavior. Something to think about. Brian just finished a great uh, series of messages in Colossians, and I want to go there for a moment. Colossians 1.10 says that ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. I want to point out the, the passage that says, walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing. Here, my friend, is the deal about all of this in a nutshell, and that is this. If his story in this book is true, if Christianity is for real, then we should throw ourselves into it lock, stock, and barrel. We should throw our heart into it with everything that we have. And if it isn't true, then just... Play church if you want, or as they say in New York, forget about it. Just no big deal. But I want you to know I'm here to tell you that it is true. His story is real. He did go to the cross. He is coming back, and we want to live our lives in a way that is going to be pleasing unto him. Romans 8 verse 6 says, for to be carnally minded is death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal man is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. Notice in this verse it talks about the law of God. God still has some laws. God still has some standards. God still has some expectations for those who are called by his name and claim to follow after him. One of Satan's greatest weapons, however, is to tell you when you've blown it, when you've fallen short, when you haven't pleased God, that you're no good, 
God's mad at you. There's no use in even trying anymore. Just give it up. But let me remind you that it's the devil who is a liar. God does love you. And he does want to help you. And he will help you if we will come to him with a broken and a repentant heart. He will forgive us. Aren't you glad for forgiveness today? Amen. Amen. We all need it from time to time. And so when that happens, when we come back to him, and the Bible says that a broken and contrite spirit, he will not turn aside. If we call upon him, he will hear. We need his help today. I would not want to try to live this Christian life without the help of the Holy Spirit. I want it abiding in me. I want it around me. I want it to be a part of my life because he is a comforter. He is our help. He is our strength. Without him, we just simply cannot do it. So after we come to him, then we have an obligation. And what is that? It is to walk worthy of the Lord, to walk worthy of our calling. After all, the Bible said that we have not chosen him, but he has chosen us. The King of Kings, the Lord of glory has chosen us and has called us that we might be set aside and be a chosen generation, a royal priesthood that we may show forth the praises of him who hath called us out of darkness into this marvelous light. C.S. Lewis asked the question, how then should we live? And that's a good question. There are many conflicting answers to that. I am astounded today in looking across the spectrum of the church world at how many, so many different ideas and so, how so many lifestyles that exist. There are two dangers in the church world today and the church at large. Number one is legalism. Legalism is a bad thing. People who are so bound by ritual, bound by rules, and those rules are often man-made traditions, traditions of men. And it produces two things in the heart of a legalist. Number one, it produces pride because it makes you feel that you're doing a little more you're sacrificing more, you're living closer, you're doing all of this and you're doing that. So it's hard not to develop somewhat of an air of superiority. The second thing that it does is that it adds insecurity about one's salvation because you're always wondering, have I done enough to please him? Have I done enough to to be saved? You know, the Pharisees were great legalists. Jesus had more to say to them than he did anybody else. In fact, they were rebuked harshly by Jesus. You may clean the outside of the cup and platter, but inside your heart is full of extortion and excess and dead men's bones. And so those that were just trying to be so holy and so rigid They would wrap the law of God on their forehead and strap it on there with a band or on their arm and walk around as if they were something special and let everybody know how holy and how spiritual they were. But you see, God's heart, while he rebuked them, he was touched by the heart of a sinner. He was touched by the one that said, oh God, have mercy upon me. 
have mercy upon me, much more than he was the man who said, I thank God I'm not like him. So insecurity in the heart of a legalist causes one to doubt their own salvation and to wonder, have I done enough? Have I sacrificed enough? But the good news is this, we are not saved by our works, but we are saved by grace through faith and that not of ourselves. It is the gift of God. The Bible tells us that our righteousness is as filthy rags in his sight. There is not one blessed thing that we can do that would merit one drop of his blood. We cannot earn our salvation. It is a gift that he has given to us. On the opposite extreme of legalism, there is liberalism. And liberalism says that there are no laws that nothing matters, that we are free in Christ. He died for our sins, and he loves us regardless what we do. Not so, my friend. I have seen many people leave the, relig- leave the legalistic world, and you know what happens when they do that so many times? They don't come to a medium place. They don't come to a place of balance. They go from that clear over here somewhere and throw the baby out with the bath water that everything goes, nothing matters, just do whatever you want, and that's all right. That is not all right. Liberalism says live however you want. Christ died for our sins. Everything is covered. It's unbelievable what you can find out there in the church world today. But somewhere between these two extremes... Somewhere between works of man and somewhere between anything and everything goes. Somewhere there's a medium place. Somewhere there's an even place that we know him, that we trust him, that we walk with him, and that he helps us. First of all, today let's find out some things that does not please God. Proverbs 6.16 tells us there are seven things that the Lord hates. Proverbs 6.16. And I had it marked earlier. Sorry. These six things doth the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination unto him. A proud look, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, and heart that deviseth wicked imaginations, feet that be swift in running to mischief, a false witness that speaketh lies, and he that soweth discord among the brethren." God does not take kindly to any of these things. Soweth discord being one of the seven things that God hates. I've seen a lot of that in my day. You know, being a, being a minister is a, kind of an unusual situation. I was talking to someone this week that was saying it doesn't matter how nice and how kind you are, there's going to be somebody who does not like you. It just doesn't matter. How would you like to be president of the United States? You get up every morning 
50% of 350 million people hate your guts. Wouldn't that be a terrible burden to bear? I mean, 175,000 people. It's amazing how divided our country is, just a few percentage points one way or the other. Some people are Trumpsters, think Trump is the, is the deal. Other people can't stand him. Some people think Hillary's the answer. Other people really can't stand her. I would hate to be that dislike. I want people to like me. Please like me. Would you like me? <laughs> if you don't, don't let me know because it'll make me feel so sad. <laughs> I want to be liked. I hear people say, I don't care what anybody thinks about me. I do. I can't imagine anybody really feeling that way. How could you be so crass and so, you know, I don't care. He that soweth discord among the brethren. I had a pastor tell me a story this week that, that is something else. I mean, it's like Ananias and Sapphira, okay? It's like Bible times. Um, I went there because of sowing discord among the brethren. I heard of a, a service where big, big, powerful service and choir was singing. Everything was going great and wonderful. There was a visiting minister there who was a powerful preacher. He got up. He said, shut it down. Stop it. Stop the music. Just stop it. He, he knew nothing that was going on in the church. But he said, I don't know what's going on, but there's something going on here. And I'm telling you, if you don't get it straightened out and get your act together and quit doing what you're doing, you're going to drop dead right in front of this pulpit and somebody's going to carry you out those doors feet first. Two weeks later, a guy dropped dead right in front of the pulpit and they carried him out feet first. Folks look a little stunned. Anybody here? Anybody with me? That's, that's Bible stuff. Remember Ananias and Sapphira? They lied to the Holy Ghost. Boom. We don't hear much preaching like that today. That's not a real seeker-sensitive message right there. You know, get your act together or whammo. <laughs> that's that just, uh, we just kind of cover those things up, you know. It, it really is, folks, and, and I, I'm just saying this because it's in, in the, what we're talking about here today. I said with not one person in mind, nothing going on at all, but sowing discord among the brethren is a very, very serious sin. It's a very serious sin. Let me tell you something. If God has called a man to preach... God will stand by that man unless he messes up and there's sin in his life. As long as he is doing his best to fulfill his God-given calling, and as far long as he is living and doing all that he can, he is God's man. And we are going to be a whole lot better off to support him than to tear him down. I saw a sign just a few days ago. It said, if you want to be liked, 
don't be a pastor. Go sell ice cream. I can uh, identify a little bit with George H.W. Bush, the 41st president, who any president, you know, just just goes through the mill. They just get plummeted every day of their life. And, And, of course, he endured that. Then he lived to see his son, George W., become president. And he really got plummeted, if you remember. Every day they were pounding that poor man. And his dad said, It was so much easier being president myself and taking the heat than it is for me to watch what they're doing to him. Now, Brian hadn't had it all that bad, but I get a little taste of that, you know. (laughs) I get a a little inkling every now and then. Don't you realize how good this kid is? You're leaving this church? What's wrong with you? You know how good a preacher he is? You're not going to find any better preacher than he preaches. That's dad talking. It may or may not be true. I think it is, but whatever, you know. <laughs> Remember the Sabbath, or let's see, let's, let's get into the, um, I, I want to just go over today the Ten Commandments. We're talking about things that are displeasing to the Lord. There are some things here that if we do them, we're going to displease the Lord. And that is failure to keep his commandments. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Whatever we put before him becomes our God. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image. That's idol worship. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Doesn't something just kind of run through you when you hear somebody do that when they take the name the name that is above every name the name through which we are saved and they use it as a byword and a curse word there's just something oh I hate to hear that somebody taking the name of the Lord God in vain personally I don't even feel too good when I hear people say, oh my God. A lot of people do that today, don't we? Oh my God, just as a kind of going on, you know. Anything that we do that invokes the name of God, it needs to be done in a holy feeling, a sacredness, an awesomeness about him and about his name. Remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. Is it really asking to, I don't think it is because the Lord requested. it. Would it really be too much to take one day a week to dedicate to him, to his house, and to honor him? I mean, really? Six days we're scurrying about this world, doing this and doing that. Is it too much to say one day to put all of that aside, come to his house, enter into his courts with praise, enter into his gates with thanksgiving, lift up his name, get regenerized, get refocused? I think not. We have seen a lot of changes in the world in the last few years, folks. I'm old enough, I remember the Sunday blue laws. Anybody remember the Sunday blue laws? Oh, what a young bunch we got here. A few folks, yeah. 
Well, the blue laws were this. Everything was shut down on Sunday. You didn't go to the grocery store because the doors were locked. Now, do I take advantage of going to the grocery store sometimes or wherever Lowe's on a Sunday? I will, but it's after church. But Sunday blue laws, that was when it seemed like the whole society, the whole culture just kind of realized, hey, there's a day that we have set aside. There are people who go to church on that day. You know, we fuss about what the government does, what they pass, and what the Supreme Court legalizes, and we go on and on about the fear of losing our religious freedom and liberty, and and I might say rightfully so. But however, the thought hit me the other day, that when we have all the freedom that we need and all that we could ever hope for to do the right thing, we all too often choose not to do so. For example, across this country, pastors are frustrated over way, way too many people who are not faithful in their church attendance. Hit or miss, if there's nothing else to do. Now, I know that over the course of a year, we are all going to miss some church services. We all need vacations. We need that. There are things that happen. There are things that come up. There's things that, that um, is going to cause us not to be able to be here 52 Sundays a year. I'm not talking about that type of thing. What I'm talking about is folks who get up on Sunday morning and, and decide whether or not they're going to go to church. Or say, should we go to church or should we go to the zoo today? Or want to go to the river? We'll go take a boat ride. Want to go do this? Want to go do that? And put those things before the house of the Lord. That is not pleasing unto the Lord. It seems like more and more that, you know, God is just being totally squeezed out of everything. Do you agree? And we're not the better for it, are we? Not the better for it whatsoever. But it used to be that, say, for example, school things or sporting things for, for children, no way would they ever have been, been scheduled on, on Sundays. In fact, I can remember when uh, there were many people in years past who churches had church on Wednesday nights. And uh, sometimes they would not schedule things on Wednesday nights because so many people went to church. But now none of that matters. We'll schedule our stuff anytime. Sunday or whatever, it, it really doesn't matter. So what do we do? We have an option to do those things or to put him first, to go there or to come here. What would be wrong sometimes when there are things like that that come up? Just say, oh, I'm sorry. Little Johnny can't be there. We go to church on Sunday. I'm sorry. Mary can't participate in that. We go to church on Sunday. Let me tell you, folks, if you raise your children where they don't know from week to week what they do on a Sunday morning, and that's go to the house of the Lord, if you raise them, hauling them all over the country here and there and doing all of this and that on Sunday morning and hitting and missing, you will never raise children that will be faithful to the house of the Lord. That's the way they were brought up. 
That's the way they will live as adults. You know why? Because the liberality of one generation becomes the orthodoxy of the next generation. We're still talking about Ten Commandments. Let me go a little further. When I was growing up, my mom fixed supper every night. And I was there to eat it. At home. I didn't run off to the neighbor's house to have supper. It didn't even matter if I found out that they were having something better than we were having. I ate at home. God put me in that home. That's where I belong. Didn't matter if I heard some fancy chef was going to be down the street cooking at the neighbor's house. I ate at home. I didn't run off down there. You know, if you don't have a church home, you need a church home. And if you have a church home, you need to be faithful to that church home. In every way, shape, or form. You know, when we become members of this assembly... We sign that we agree to do this and that and several things. Support the church financially. Be faithful in attendance and and a lot of those things. And we should feel a responsibility to all of that. And it's not only what we can get by being faithful and what all we can do. But we need to realize that our faithfulness to the house of the Lord, it helps to build the church. It helps to solidify the church. And we ought to come in here with the idea, who can I help today? How can I be a blessing to someone that may need to be blessed today? There may be occasional good reasons to change churches, but don't become just someone who just <clears throat> hops <clears throat> from church to church. Because if you, if you, once you start that, every time somebody looks at you crossways, you're going to get your feelings hurt. Every time somebody ruffles your feather, you're going to truck down the road somewhere else. And let me tell you, folks, people are people wherever you go. And if we have problems, there are answers to solving these problems in this good book that we need to abide by and take advantage of. We're going to judge the world someday. Can't we straighten out our own things, our own situations that may arise? We should be able to do that. Back to the Ten Commandments. Honor thy father and thy mother. My mother is 92 years old. I have always had in the back of my mind, when she passes... I want to be able to look at her with a guilt-free heart. Mom, I did everything I could to help you. I've done everything I could to honor you. That's biblical. Honor thy father and thy mother. You know, every succeeding generation thinks the previous generation loses it a little bit you know oh not not at your house you know mom and dad become a little more old fogey and they're not quite hip hey folks I was hip one time 
I was hip. <laughs> See, I still think I'm hip. That's the problem. <laughs> but the world has passed on. And I'm not as hip as I used to be. And I don't like it. I don't like it when I give advice and, oh, okay, then. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not commit adultery. No excuses. But I'm not happy doesn't qualify as a right to step out of the confines of your marriage. It's a serious thing. Marriage is a sacred thing, a serious thing. I was blessed to help... um, perform the ceremony of my great niece Friday night and she and her her young man are trucking off to Delaware involved in a church there she's going to go to nursing school and it was a beautiful ceremony a beautiful time but it's a seriousness and as I prayed for them I prayed Lord let them be true to you and each other in the sunny days in the dark days when times are good and when times are bad and all through every situation of life to remain true and faithful to one another with Christ as the center of that home thou shalt not commit adultery thou shalt not steal thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor thou shalt not covet So these are just a portion of things that do not please God. So what does please him? Hebrews 11.6 says, But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So the first thing on the agenda of pleasing the Lord is just to have faith in him. Have faith in him. Believe that he is. Believe that he exists. And believe that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. When you have that kind of faith, then you can live out the scripture that all things work together for the good to them that, are, that love God and are called according to his purpose. I saw something just a day or two ago that... Um, really spoke to my heart. When you're in a dilemma as to what to do and trying to make a decision, there are three things to consider. Number one, does it line up with the Bible? First thing, does it line up with the Bible? Number two, would godly counsel agree with you? Number three, do you feel at peace about it? Those are three very important things. First of all, line up with the Bible. Everything that we do has to line up with the Bible. We, folks, we cannot get around this book. We cannot get around the confines of this holy writ, this holy scripture. Does it, would it pass muster with godly counsel? If you brought your decision-making process to your pastor... Could he agree that this is a good step 
would he, as your shepherd, feel that this is a good thing? Some people don't want to check anybody else out, you know, because they think, oh, they wouldn't agree with that. If there's something that you think that a pastor would not agree with in your life, that might not be the right path for you to go down if it would not stand the muster of godly counsel. And then if there is peace about it. You know, when you, <clears throat> when you really have faith and you live for God and when you walk with the Lord, there is a true peace that can pass all understanding, even in the midst of a storm. I'll tell you some things that I learned during the years that I pastored. There would be folks that, uh, for whatever reason, you know, sometimes get bent out of shape or whatever, who, who would leave, leave a church. And regardless, folks, when that happens, it, it, it's like a dagger in the heart of a pastor. He, you just can't help it. It, it just... It's a, you know, you go on and you put on a happy face, but there's a hurt there that, that just, just hurts. But I have, I, I lived through this, that every time that something like that would happen, God always, God always sent somebody else in. God never let anything really bad happen. And I learned to just trust him and just walk with him and to be secure in him. And when you get to that point, when you have walked through so many different things and you've seen the hand of God, then that increases your faith and you know that whatever comes, he brought me through that, he'll bring me through this. I killed the bear. I can kill the lion. I killed the lion. I can kill Goliath. That's a kind of faith that rises up into your heart. So ultimately, it becomes to the point where, no, it's not hard to live for God. It doesn't matter what happens. You just slough it off and just keep loving God and just keep having faith and just keep on believing. Knowing that he will work it out for your good in the end. What else is required to be pleasing to the Lord? 1 Corinthians 4, 2 says, Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. And all that covers so much more than just church attendance. I don't want to give the, the uh, idea here that that's the only thing that results in being faithful. That's just simply an outgrowth of being faithful. Is it possible to be faithful in such a perverse world? tell you there are folks who have been faithful in much worse circumstances than what we face today. There are atrocities that are going on around this world against Christians that are simply unbelievable. People who are being martyred just for being Christians. It's happening all around this globe and very little is reported about it. Is it possible to live for Christ and be faithful in a perverse world? Anybody remember the name Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? I've never faced what they faced. I've never been faced with only two options, and that is bow down and worship the image of the king or be thrown into the fiery furnace. Boy, that's a dilemma now, isn't it? I mean, 
No. We used to sing a song, um, I've never been spit upon, ridiculed, wounded in my side. Life's no better roses, but still I am alive. I got a long way to go to be like the Lord. We've never endured what he went through. We've never had to make decisions like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego made. Oh, if I were ever faced with that, I would stand for the Lord. I'd say, throw me in the fiery furnace. And we can't even live for him now and be faithful and be true and do the things that are pleasing to him right now when there really isn't that much pressure that's going on. I don't know. Anybody hear about somebody being thrown into a den of lions if they prayed? You know, it would have probably been pretty easy to have skirted that one. I mean, here Daniel was. He was told, you know, anybody praying to another God, going to be thrown into the den of lions. What did he do? He went home, opened up the windows, and started praying out into the air where everybody could hear him. <laughs> we'd have probably closed the windows and we'd have prayed a prayer in our mind. And said, no, God, you know, I still love you. And, and still prayed, but not made a public spectacle. Not made a public issue about it. But here's the good thing to all of this. And that is those three Hebrew boys, they were faithful. It did not keep them from the fiery furnace, but their faith brought them out of the fiery furnace. Amen. Daniel was faithful. It did not keep him out of the lion's den but it brought him out of the lion's den. Could something of that nature ever come down our path today? Perhaps. Who knows? It's a dangerous world in which we live. If so, would we have the strength to stand? The three Hebrew children did. Daniel did. And guess what? The Lord delivered them. Remember this. Always, always do the right thing. And God will reward us for it. So what is the key to pleasing God? The key to pleasing God can be found in Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven, And Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. There is no cajoling. There is no pressure. There's nothing that anybody can do to get any one of us to live a life pleasing to him. The only way it's going to be accomplished is for us to fall in love with him. And sometimes our love grows a little cold, does it not? Sometimes we get distracted. You know, the angel or the Lord had a, had a message to the church of Laodicea. And that was, you have lost your first love. You remember that love that you had when you first found the Lord? You remember the enthusiasm that you had about God and his house and the things of the Lord? You remember how hungry you were for his word? But sometimes the pride of life and the cares of life just kind of sneak in and rob us of that. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul. I want you to know that for a person who will be faithful to the Lord, that God has rewards for him or her. 
He has promised us that he would never leave us. He has promised us that he would never forsake us. I can tell you today that it pays to serve Jesus. It pays to serve Jesus. Dr. Tony Evans tells a story of the time that he was in, I believe it was seminary, and he got a job working nights for trailways and worked at the bus station. Working all night long, unloading luggage as the buses would come in and, and all of this and that. His cohorts, his uh, fellow employees, they decided to rig a scheme. And that scheme was that about half of them would go off somewhere and hide and sleep during the shift while others did the work. And then the next night they'd switch off. And the ones that worked the night before, they'd go do the sleeping and those other folks would work. But Dr. Evans said, no, I I cannot do that. That would not be right. That would be stealing. And I I can't do that. Little did he know, but in a short while after that, he was called into the office of his boss. And the boss said, Tony, said, we know what's going on. They don't have us fooled for a minute. We see what's happening. And we also know that you're not a part of that. And we want to thank you. Not only do we want to thank you, but we want to make you the supervisor. Does it pay to serve the Lord? Does it pay to just do what's right? Just do what's right. Anybody ever hear of Chick-fil-A? Well, you can't eat there today. (laughs) You know why? They're closed on Sunday. Now, be honest with you, I'm glad not every restaurant is closed on Sunday. (laughs) I'm glad of that. But it's just something that Chick-fil-A says, we're going to be closed, we're going to give our employees Sunday off. We're going to honor God. We want them to go to church, be with their family, whatever. So we're going going to shut her down. Do you think if Chick-fil-A right up the street here on Broad Street if they were open today, would there be a line out the door? People getting off church and going to Chick-fil-A? You know there would be a line. Is their pocketbook being hurt by not being open? Maybe. Not really. Not really. One of the most successful fast food companies there is. I recently saw an article in the paper. Burt Lindsay Honda up here on Bryce Road. They bought Scarborough Mall and turned the whole thing into a dealership. It's a big outfit. They had a goal to become number one in Ohio. They sell more Hondas than anybody in Ohio. And guess what? Unlike many dealerships, they too are closed on Sunday. And they quoted Mr. Lindsay in the article and said, We made a determination to be closed on Sunday for the sake of our employees to be with their family and for religious purposes. And then he just said it boldly. We are going to serve the Lord. Isn't that pretty good? Isn't that good? We are going to serve the Lord. Now, if you have to work a Sunday now and then, I do sometimes and, you know, 
I understand all of that. But I'm just talking about having a heart that wants to please God, that wants to do the right thing. And when we do, God will reward us for it. Psalms 147.11 says, The Lord takes pleasure in those who fear Him. The Lord takes pleasure in those who fear Him. The Lord loves it when we love Him and we walk with Him and we are faithful to Him. You know, there may be folks in this assembly that maybe some of the things that I said earlier may apply to, but but I, w- I want to say something to you, and I want to say this, and that is that there are so many, many wonderful, faithful people in this church. Just salt-of-the-earth type people. Good-as-gold type of people who love God, who are faithful, who you can depend on, who are bulwarks of this assembly. I was privileged to be born into a family that, um, that had a very good name. And I am still blessed. I, I get calls from people and friends, friends of mine. And, and time after time, they will say this. You know, we always had the greatest respect for your mom and dad. We always just loved your family. And they go on and on about my folks, who were just, just faithful people, who just loved God. People talk about my grandfather before them. And I've heard story after story, and people loved him. He was a minister and quite a unique man. And so I grew up with the, with the situation that I'm a part of a good family here. I don't want to dishonor that. I don't, I don't want to bring dishonor to the bird name And I lived with that. How much more should all of us want to bring honor to his name? His name. The one who died for us. The one who has gone to prepare a place for us throughout all of eternity. And it's a glorious place. The Bible says, I have not seen, neither has ear heard, hasn't even entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those that love him. I'm telling you, if you will be faithful, it's going to be worth it all someday. The distractions of this life don't amount to a hill of beans compared to the blessings of being faithful and pleasing to the Lord. It pays to serve Jesus. It pays every day. I just said that this church is full of such good and wonderful and faithful people. I'll be honest with you folks. I, I've never been around a church that so little is ever said about money. I said a whole lot more about it when I was pastoring than Brian does. And I'm always after him, Brian, you know, forget it, Dad. <laughs> He just doesn't. He just doesn't talk about it. He he trusts. You know, God's going to take care of things. And so I have just seen what has happened. You know what? One thing I think the capital campaign has been such a success. There's nobody every week that's just pounding on you to give, 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 give. 
There's nobody manipulating you and telling you that Psalms 147 says blah, blah, blah. So you need to give $147. And if you do, your miracles are coming down the road, bless God. (laughs) In 24 hours, you're going to see a miracle. No, that doesn't go on around here. Now, I will tell you that when you give, you will be blessed. And you will receive. And you folks that just gave to the capital campaign, God bless you. May he open up the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing that you can't contain. I'll tell you what, I've given to a lot of projects in my course of the years. Never one time have I ever given with the idea in the back of my mind, I'm going to give this because I want to be blessed. I'm going to give this so I can get something down the road. I've never done that. I've always given out of the need because there is a need and I give to it. But then when you look back and you say, oh, yes, yes. And suddenly it dawns on you. Yes, I've tried to be faithful. I've tried to be generous. I've tried to do my part. And guess what? The Lord will bless you abundantly for that. So I think what has happened here is that Brian doesn't come and talk to you hardly at all about about giving. And so when he when he steps here and says, Hey folks, we need to do this and we need this, boom, you responded. To the tune of nearly a half a million dollars. Isn't that good? Brian would never tell you this. I will. (laughs) If you're sitting on a bunch of money and you're a part of this church and you didn't give anything, shame on you. And to those of you that didn't have what you would like to give, but you gave what you could and maybe a little bit more, God bless you. God bless you. That's just the way it works, friends. God delights in those who have faith and are faithful and do it with a sacrificial and a giving heart. Say amen. 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 So it pays to serve Jesus. It pays every day. Talking about pleasing God. Some musicians come this morning. I reached way back and there was a song that kind of hit me that um, we used to sing a long time ago that just fits so much with this message today. Very simple song, just three lines and one more line. I want to be pleasing. I want to be pleasing. I want to be pleasing. Pleasing in his sight. How many feel that way today? Do you have a desire to be pleasing to the Lord? Amen. Let's stand, shall we?